Hello and welcome to Foxed, the practical podcast series from Fox & Partners. In these podcasts, we'll be looking at scenarios from our day-to-day practice, offering solutions to some of the most pressing partnership and employment law questions we hear from our clients. Our goal is to offer a digest of some of today's key issues in a succinct and practical style that we hope you'll find useful and engaging. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everyone, to our latest Fox pod from the Fox and Partners team. Uh, On this occasion, we're turning to artificial intelligence at work, more specifically, the use of generative AI such as ChatGPT. The use of artificial intelligence tools at work presents huge opportunities and challenges, and it's all moving at an incredible pace. So there's plenty to come back to in later podcasts. For now, in this podcast, we're going to introduce some of the legal and practical implications, and we'll discuss what you need to be thinking about if you're in a leadership role and would like to understand and harness this technology. And to help us discuss, I'd like to welcome a special guest, Sarah Ibrahim, who's a barrister at Gatehouse Chambers and regularly advises in this artificial intelligence area. Very warm welcome, Sarah. Thank you very much, Ivor. It's great to be here. Well, I've had an interest in tech from university days, but in the past few years, I've become much more interested and involved in advancements in the world of legal tech and in developing our own IT setup. Uh, but let's fling the anorak off uh, and start with an understanding of generative AI and large language models. Could you help us with that, Sarah? Of course. ChatGPT stands for Chat Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. Chat refers to the chatbot interface and generative pre-trained is an acknowledgement of the data the model has been trained on to predict the next word in any sequence it gives you. This means it can give you responses that make it seem friendly and human-like. OpenAI, the company behind ChatGPT, has recently launched GPT-4. This is a multimodal model, which means it accepts images as well as text. Unlike earlier models, it can therefore understand and describe images. It is trained on data up until August 2022. A recent promise from OpenAI said it would only retain users' data for 30 days and would not use it to train its models. At its core, it uses a type of neural network called a transformer. Transformers are a form of deep learning algorithm. The model consists of a number of layers that perform different tasks. The input is then transformed by those layers into a final response. Okay. Uh, And it appears to go far beyond what had been predicted would be possible by now. Uh, When I was using ChatGPT in January this year, I was really impressed at how I was able to generate a script for an episode of Friends for Tardigrades. Obviously, this was an attempt at fun with my kids. But when I then asked it a technical question on English partnership law, it gave quite an eloquent answer, but it was just plain wrong. So I immediately thought to myself, not out of a job yet. Since then, I've been testing ideas out on ChatGPT4, which is the subscription platform, and it's obviously even more powerful. So it's remarkable that we have AI technology so adept with language. And this obviously has workplace implications. We've heard of a magic circle firm introduce a chatbot intended to help its lawyers with a variety of legal tasks, and this is seen by some as a bit of a game changer. How professional practices, financial services businesses, or any modern business will find effective uses for ChatGPT or these large language model technologies remains to be seen. But there's a good argument that getting to grips with the tech now is really essential in order to understand its possibilities and manage risk. 
potential uses we've been thinking about is in relation to knowledge gains and management, upskilling lawyers to get on top of complex areas of their clients' businesses or on specific topics where time is precious is a way forward. For example, asking ChatGPT to explain in simple terms a particular complex issue, giving some information and context, and then asking it to set out those things you don't appear to understand. You could also ask ChatGPT to devise plans or specific business development projects, help you with communications to colleagues, or summarise large quantities of text and explain that to a novice in a digestible manner. And whether what generative AI can do results in job augmentation or job replacement remains to be seen. Earlier this year, it was reported that the McKinsey Global Institute was of the view that we need to have a think about these things as productivity-enhancing tools, it said, as opposed to complete replacements. And pretty soon, a skill we may all have to learn is how to work effectively with these tools and understand that they offer a form of intelligence that's different and be able to spot when they fall into error and what's called hallucinate. A basic level new skill may involve understanding how to format your question to get the response that's most aligned to the outcome you want to achieve. But it seems to me there are real risks with this and firms will need to have a proper plan in place if use of ChatGPT is going to be permitted or even encouraged. But let's come back to that a bit later. So currently there are no UK regulations specifically relating to the use of AI at work. In the future, we may see some legal doctrines being developed around use of algorithms, perhaps bespoke legal frameworks and institutions that provide the rules and the architecture to govern all of this. But for now, regulation of AI is essentially context-driven and very distributed. Sarah, could you help us with some of the government and policy developments around AI in the UK, in the EU and internationally? Let's start with the UK. A white paper was released on 29th of March titled A Pro-Innovation Approach to AI Regulation. On your point, Ivor, on definitions, the paper proposes defining AI by its functional capabilities, its adaptivity and its autonomy. This is to avoid the perceived problem of the draft European Artificial Intelligence Act, otherwise being referred to as AIA. That had to be tweaked by MEPs last month, so it encapsulated chat GPT. To give you an idea of the pace of technology, at that same meeting, MEPs looked at 3,000 amendments to the AIA. But there are five principles that will underpin the UK's approach. I'm going to focus on three of those. First, transparency and explainability. Two, accountability and governance. And three, redress. So these are intended to be applied by existing regulators. For reasons you may have guessed, Ivor, transparency and redress are connected. Regulators and parties affected by the use of AI need to have sufficient information about how the AI works so they can enforce their rights. Lord Sales, a Supreme Court Justice, mentioned the importance of transparency in his speech to the Institute of Directors at the end of April. Under accountability, the white paper makes it clear that the onus is on regulators to set out guidance for how AI developers and others involved in the life cycle of the AI can demonstrate proper accountability. 
I also want to touch upon the EU and the US, as those are two key markets for the UK, and standards set there will influence decision-making in other important markets, such as India. The EU's AIA will apply to all third countries that place AI systems in the EU and providers whose AI systems produce outputs used in the EU. With the mobility of data and proliferation of ChatGPT, this means businesses need to be aware of EU regulation. In the US, the White House has released a blueprint AI Bill of Rights, focusing on safeguarding the public from AI harms. If enacted, the bill would replicate a number of rights we are familiar with in this jurisdiction, including freedom from discrimination, data minimization, and privacy rights, as well as a focus on making AI use transparent. It is right to note the recent call by Elon Musk and Stuart Russell, among others, for a six-month pause in AI development, so urgent thinking about regulations and safeguards should be expected. These fears have been amplified by George Hinton, the so-called godfather of AI, who has left Google so he can warn about the dangers of large language models like ChatGPT. And at a recent Senate committee hearing, Sam Altman, that's the CEO of OpenAI, made calls for the US government to urgently regulate AI. So um, coming back to the coal face, um, particularly thinking about those leadership teams where we know anecdotally there's real enthusiasm to adopt ChatGPT4 or some other model, no pressure, but what would you say are the main risks uh, currently for leadership teams to be focusing on? And maybe if we could start on issues relating to liability. Ivor, I think that's the perfect place to start. Liability is going to be the key question, and it's whose liability? And mainly, that's going to be caused by lack of human oversight or even an understanding by senior teams as to how those algorithms are evolving. I think we also need to look at legal questions thrown up by the use of suppliers and or third party providers. Who is using this technology? And then accuracy or inaccuracy. And that's going to be one of the big problems arising from legal tech. We've had discussions about the ICO, for example, of all of the regulators which are operating in this field. We think they are the ones uh, who are best placed to step in to this vacuum created by the lack of government action and regulation. Yeah, one issue which um, kind of rather stuck out to me at the outset of uh, really getting to grips with this technology is a risk of a breach of confidential information obligations and the extent to which information can be put into the tool, breach of confidence, breach of contract, breach of the GDPR, um, breach of professional duties, breach of privacy. So uh, have you any thoughts about how that is managed? And presumably the starting point is a proper understanding of the technology um, and uh, some policy documentation and proclamation of all of that to, to staff making the position clear. But have you developed any thoughts about particular risks that businesses face? Well, I think it's such an interesting question because when we first started having these discussions, tools like ChatGPT didn't take these into account at all. And it's only by client pressure 
uh, and specifically lawyers wanting to use these legal technologies, that we are taking into account uh, those GDPR UK and European and various other professional duties. So there needs to be a proper understanding on the part of senior leadership as to how this technology works and how it's being used. Have you come across any of the issues that have been floated uh, that may help manage risk? So, you know, the use of the use of watermarks and, you know, that kind of thing. So the question of watermarks is a very interesting one, because at the moment we work on the basis that we know whether something is produced by humans or whether it's produced by or in connection with artificial intelligence. I think that the disinformation war that could be fought with the use of AI is very dangerous and watermarks are a very good way of identifying who has produced the content. But I want to talk about bias. And this isn't just in an abstract context. This comes from the perspective of an equalities lawyer. And I know Ivor is somebody who also has practiced in this area that bias and whether data is being used can actually be amplifying bias is a problem that causes lawyers concern. Mm. Obviously, this has major implication when it comes to issues like recruitment. Uh, presumably, that's a short step to issues regarding progression and promotion and also monitoring. And those appear to be the kind of issues that have got sort of most interest. Um, Have you developed thoughts on that yet? Well, I think the key thing is what Lord Sales referred to in his speech that I referenced earlier, what he calls humans in the loop. I think the firms that allow the artificial intelligence to make all of the decisions are the ones who are most at risk. One, because they will not have a proper audit or control over that process. But most lawyers and even judges, where they are venturing an opinion, expect there to be a level of human oversight. And presumably, Marks, there might be um, obligations um, or, or at least ways of managing risk by ensuring that clients or customers know that an individual has used AI And then there's an issue as to what they are told to make sure that's communicated clearly. Um, Any thoughts on that point? Well, I think you have identified the key point, which is, do people actually know whether AI has taken any part in whether it's decision making or the process? Because coming back to my earlier points on redress, for example, uh, and accountability, you need to know what particular part the AI has played and who will have accountability for that. One other issue, which is a bit more of a structural, potentially cultural issue, is the extent to which um, you know professionals um, um, early in their career uh, are gradually using the technology in a way which means that they, they're not really skilled in the things they need to know when they get um, more experience in their career. Um, so there's a risk of potentially a kind of atrophy of skills by an over-reliance um, on technology which is designed to augment uh, skills. And then there's potentially an issue, what happens if the whole system comes offline uh, and you cannot rely uh, on that? There's an over-reliance on, on the technology. Um, so there's there's probably quite a bit to think about um, before um, you know there's any kind of keenness to introduce the technology. Uh, it needs to be done in an incremental way. Uh, and perhaps could we move to discuss, uh, and again, no pressure, uh, but uh, perhaps a framework 
for adopting generative AI in your business? Well, the UK AI Standards Hub will probably be a good place for businesses to start. So one of the key things the standards seek to inculcate is public trust, as without this, the government fear there will be no real take up of AI. So you will have to be able to explain your use of AI to the public as well as regulators. But to come back to a framework, in the US, the National Institute for Standards and Technology does have a framework that it calls Map, Measure and Manage to refer to the life cycle use of AI. To break this down, you should plan before you use your AI and have a map of risks and how to deal with them. You should then build in metrics at the development stage of the AI to measure its performance. Only then you should deploy the AI, because once deployed, there is an ongoing responsibility to manage it and make corrections. And increasingly, jurisdictions are encouraging the use of AIAs, which in this context means algorithmic impact assessments, which are now mandatory in some countries, including Canada. However, it's about more than transparency. Businesses need to ensure that their corporate structure and governance recognises and can deal with AI risks. Insurers are going to be asking what procedures you have in place to mitigate those risks, as occurred with cyber insurance policies. And you should also make sure that your contracts reflect your understanding of who shoulders the responsibility when your use of a provider's AI goes wrong. So this is especially important where you have suppliers of AI who won't share how it works because they're concerned about their intellectual property or trade secrets. Does this circle back slightly to an issue as to where the dividing line is between a product and the service and that becoming frankly less clear cut? Absolutely, it circles back to this. But one thing as lawyers, and I'm sure Ivor, you don't do this, is use templates when you're you're using uh, contractual provisions or standard contractual provisions. And where that line becomes blurred, you have to ensure your contracts reflect that. It's also worth acknowledging there's provision in the UK GDPR um, that requires you to undertake a data protection impact assessment if your use of AI involves um, essentially profiling on which decisions are made that produce legal or similarly significant effects, where there's large scale processing of special categories of personal data or systematic monitoring of publicly accessible areas on a large scale. So it may well be that some use of ChatGTP4 is of itself unlikely to result in a high risk and trigger this requirement to do an impact assessment. Sarah, do you think if your business is embarking on a major project that could involve the use of personal data in this way, or possibly in this way, it would be good practice to ensure it does so? In short, yes. I'm going to tell you why. So the ICO has helpful guidance about when you must do a DPIA. The three categories you've mentioned are all categorised as high risk, and the ICO would expect to see a data protection impact assessment. They've also made it clear they would expect to see one if you use innovative technology, you use profiling or special category data, you process biometric data or genetic data, or you match data or combine data sets from different sources. Just as an insight, biometric data includes everything from retina scans 
to keystroke patterns, and the ICO's list is likely to capture almost all use of emerging AI. For that reason, it's going to be good practice, as you say, for companies to get experience in conducting these impact assessments. Yeah, and as to that, the Institute for the Future of Work have produced detailed guidance on algorithmic impact assessments, and that's worth considering. Uh, so drawing the threads together and trying to reach some conclusions on rolling out a generative AI project in your business, I think for my part, I would consider first starting with a proper understanding of the implications of the technology and then communicating that to everyone on your leadership team, uh, reflecting on the scale and complexity of the task you're looking to augment. You need to consider the volume and size of the transactions that are going to be affected but focus really hard on the employee impact and take advice early on possible equality and diversity implications and whether that data impact assessment is necessary or appropriate. Then think about governance arrangements and proper systems and controls before deployment. Make sure all those risk assessments are, are done. And I think it's really important to ensure someone in the leadership team has ownership of all of this. That person needs to have the skills and knowledge and the expertise necessary to discharge that responsibility and if they're not trained, you need to bring in an appropriate person and an appropriate level of seniority. And Ivor, if I may, we have had discussions about this. I'm strongly of the view that shouldn't be the chief technology officer because those responsibilities as an organisation cannot be siphoned off to one individual. It has to be something your leadership team understands, both the risks and how they're being controlled. Yeah. Also, I would... Um amend the policies to ensure that unauthorized use of ChatGPT is not uh, permitted. It needs to be clear um, that no shortcuts should be taken. Uh, adopting ChatGPT needs to be done in a com very controlled way. Uh, you might also want to consider if, it, if it's appropriate to um, add that use of ChatGPT is in fact a disciplinary offense if it's not allowed in your workplace in order to protect uh, your client's interests and uh, other employees. So, Sarah, over to you. What are, what are your tips and thoughts about all of this? Well, thank you, Ivor. My first tip would be to front load your work on the risks of AI and how to manage these prior to use and deployment. It will be really difficult, not least expensive, to make corrections when the systems are integrated. For that reason, I would suggest a selective or trial rollout of technology like ChatGPT. Do you need to look at their subscriber models, for example, which are going to give a more tailored offer for your business? I would then, as my third tip, say work on an explainability document that not just you, but your senior leaders can understand. Don't leave this to your technical team or third party provider. Prepare for regulation. The sooner your company can deal with the impact of anticipated regulation, the better. And there is some common ground in the US, UK and EU around the key principles, and that's such as privacy and data use, as well as risk assessments and counteracting discrimination. That last uh, counteracting discrimination, not just a matter for employment lawyers, but also anyone dealing with wider commercial disputes and then educate your team about how the new technology works. This new wave of technology poses new challenges, including the ability, as I've said earlier, to disseminate lots of misleading information at speed. So make sure leaders know how to recognise and react to this. 
But I would also say to people, be creative. AI systems, you've mentioned earlier, Ivor, can help you be more productive and could augment what already exists. So you should focus on innovation and finding novel solutions, as this is where people will add value. And my final tip, and I hope it's not too self-serving, there's going to remain some value in real life lawyers. As your earlier example put out, there are people uh, who still can give you nuanced and correct answers to legal problems and ChatGBT isn't quite there yet. Of course. Well, a big thank you um, for all your time and your thoughts. It's been great to chat GPT. Um, terrible pun, but there it is. Uh, in later podcasts, um, we will provide you with our practical take on the use of AI. Uh, and we're thinking about covering talent acquisition, rooting out unwanted behaviours, and also uh, tricky surveillance and performance management issues, which have equality and data protection law implications. So please do email us at podcast at foxlawyers.com if you'd like us to dive into any of those topics, or if you have any thoughts of your own, please uh, offer them over. We're very keen to develop a proper debate on this topic. We see it as very important. We'd like to share ideas, and we all want to ensure the technology used, or rather is used in the right way. So uh, until our next podcast, all the very best from the Fox and Partners team. Thank you for listening to this episode of Foxed, and we hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to subscribe via your usual podcast platform, or you can find more details at our website, foxlawyers.com.